If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be in chapters 4 and 5 this morning. If you don't have your Bible, uh, the words are printed for you there in the bulletin. Uh, The series is called Jesus is Better. Uh, Ten reasons why Jesus surpasses everything. And the reason why Hebrews talks about that is it's trying to encourage some early Christians not to give up following Jesus. They were being tempted to do that. And the number one way to not give up following Jesus is to look at Jesus. Because there's enough within himself to recommend himself to us. Uh, He's incomparable. He's irreplaceable. And this morning we're going to see this great theme uh, highlighted in verse 14. Jesus is our great high priest. He is our great high priest. So please hear again the reading of God's word. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when he's called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And was designated by God to be high priests in the order of Melchizedek. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to its reading this morning. One of the common uh, objections I think that people have to Christianity and to Jesus is that Christianity doesn't seem to be all that practical. Uh, And I think that this is not just an objection that people have who don't yet believe in Jesus. I, I think if we're honest, even those of us who believe in Jesus and are trying to follow him, this objection rises in different forms in our hearts. Uh, We come to the Bible and we read passages like this and we think, wow, there's some big words in there. There's some big ideas, some heavenly things that I can't even understand. Um, After all, we Americans are practical people, right? Uh, We want to know where the rubber meets the road. Uh, How is this actually going to help me on Monday morning? Uh, All this highfalutin theology way up there in the skies, how how is that going to help me with the stuff that I'm struggling with in my everyday life, tell me how to make a difference. Tell me, tell me you know, how I can apply it immediately. I want to tell you, if you pay attention to this passage, you'll understand that objection actually has it wrong from the get-go. 
because it assumes that what is heavenly cannot be of earthly use. When actually, when you stare at Jesus Christ, the, the passage tells us, he is the most heavenly of all, of all people, of all beings. It says in verse 14, he ascended into heaven, or he passed through the heavens. He's the high priest on high, not, not the pie in the sky, but the priest in the sky. And at the same time, it tells us, Jesus is able to empathize with our weaknesses. Because he lived a life just like me and you. In the dust and the dirt and the sweat and the blood and the tears that fill this world. Very heavenly. And yet at the same time, extraordinarily earthly. There's an answer, I think, to our objections to Christ. Right here in this passage, whether we're a believer or not. If Jesus is our great high priest, that means he's not far away from us just because he's exalted on high. He's near to us, and he's near to us, y'all, even when we're weak. In fact, Jesus specializes in helping the weak. Uh, look this morning at the bulletin. You'll see three things that we learn from the life of Jesus from this passage. First of all, we learn that God came to us when we were weak. He didn't stay away. He came to us. Secondly, because God came to us, we can come to God when we're weak. And then thirdly, this changes everything. God came to us when we were weak, therefore we can come to God when we're weak, and this changes absolutely everything if we'll listen to it, if we'll embrace it and understand it. So first of all, God came to us. That, that right there, that, that statement, God came down, God you know, joined us, is a great summary really of the whole life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is absolutely unique in that he is God the Son. It tells us that there in verse 14. That our great high priest is Jesus the Son of God with a capital S and a capital G. That means he's a son of God different than you and I are. We are lowercase s sons and lowercase d daughters of God. Because we were created by him. And because we, if we believe in Jesus, because we believe in Jesus... But Jesus is the capital S Son of God, meaning he is one with the Father. Uh, this is the mystery of the Trinity, as the Bible describes it, that there is one God, only one God. There's no other. There's no rival to God. And yet this one God has eternally existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everything that makes the Father God is also true of the Son as God and is also true of the Holy Spirit as God. Uh, if God is all-knowing, Jesus is all-knowing. If God is all-powerful and sovereign, Jesus is all-powerful and sovereign. If God is all-good, Jesus is all-good. He's faithful, just like God is. If God never changes, Jesus never changes. That's, that's the simple idea there. And yet, notice what it says. The Son of God, capital S, capital G, came down so far into our weak and, and broken condition, our sinful condition, that verse 15... He is able now to empathize, meaning he's able to feel the same thing we feel in this world. Why? Because he had the same experiences. Continue in verse 15. He has been tempted in every way just as we are. I mean, just take a moment and get your mind wrapped around that. God became a human being so that he could be tempted like you. And experience the same hard knocks of various kinds that you and I experience from the time we're born to the time we leave this world. 
Now, of course, Jesus was tempted differently than I am because I have never met a temptation that I wasn't interested in. Have you? (laughs) I'm interested in temptation. Jesus was not interested. Jesus had all his heart was for his father. And so it says he was tempted like we are and yet he didn't have sin. And yet that doesn't take one ounce of his ability to empathize. In fact, it makes his ability to empathize even greater. Uh, You know, C.S. Lewis famously said that the person who always fails at temptation doesn't really understand temptation at all because he's always getting beat by it. It's the one who actually knows how to whip it that knows it so well. Uh, Just like the, the defense that lets the team score seven touchdowns doesn't know the offense very well that the other team's running. <laughs> but, the, but the defense that shuts them down and doesn't allow any points, they're masters of that offense. The same thing is true of Jesus. He is a master of the human condition. He's a master of human temptation, a master of human suffering, a man of sorrows acquainted with suffering and acquainted with grief. Why? So that he could help us. The Bible says this movement of God to come all the way down from his exalted place in the heavens to a place of dustiness and bloodiness and a place stained with tears was a demonstration, a proof of God's love for fallen humanity, for people like me and you. Maybe you've been in a conversation like this with your spouse or or with someone that you love. Uh, They've wronged you or maybe you've wronged them for the umpteenth time. Has that ever happened to anybody? And you come to them or they come to you and say, I'm sorry, I did it again, but I really do love you. And the other person responds almost like a knee-jerk reaction, show me then. Or you respond, show me then. If you love me, don't just come and say you love me. Don't just come and say you're sorry. Demonstrate it by doing something different, right? The Bible says God understands this very well. He understands, just, just like the human heart, his heart is also a show me kind of heart. Where he says, don't just talk about love, show love. Demonstrate it. And the Bible says God demonstrated his love in this. That the Son of God took on flesh and blood. Shared our experience, suffered with us, died on the cross for us so that he could empathize with our weaknesses. I don't know about you, but often when I'm weak, I feel very far away from God. Do you feel that way? Uh, When I'm strong, I feel like God's on my side. The wind's in my sails. When I'm successful, I'm like, God is blessing me. Praise the Lord. But when I'm not successful, I think, God, why are you cursing me? That's the way the human mind works, isn't it? Things are going good. God's sunshine is shining. When they're bad, God must be angry. The scripture actually tells us that is not the case. It is not the case. In fact, If the life of Jesus means anything, it means potentially when you're at your weakest, when you're at your most sinful, when you're at your most broken and most uh, confused and lost, that might be the place God is closest and wanting to do the greatest work he's ever done in your life. God came to us not when we were strong, not when we were righteous. God came to us in Jesus when we were sinners, enemies to him. He moved near And just like he moved near in the life of Jesus, he moves near to us in our everyday lives. This is one area where you got to learn how to tell your feelings to hush and listen to your faith. 
There's sometimes in life like that, right? Feelings are not all bad. Feelings are good and they're very powerful. But sometimes you got to tell feelings where to get off the train (laughs) and start following and listening rather what God has told you in Scripture, what your faith is focused on. That's why it says there in verse 14, because Jesus is the Son of God on high, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. That word hold firmly literally means master, to master something. Let us master our confession of faith. Let's master what we believe. Let's know what we believe and why we believe it. And that way, when our feelings contradict what we know we believe and we know why we believe it, we can say feelings, soul, as the psalm says, soul. Why are you so downcast? Hope thou in the Lord. Because the Lord has showed you what he thinks of you. He showed you what he thinks of you even when you were weak and and even when you were small. In other words, all this highfalutin theology, y'all, that stuff matters. You got to pay attention. If the Bible says it, it says it because you need to know it. If you can. And, And none of us can know all of it. The word master there is a loose term. Because none of us can truly master scripture. But we ought to be about the business of at least trying to master it a little bit more today than we did yesterday. And it's not just so that we can win Jeopardy one day if there's a Bible section. That ain't the reason. It's not about just having knowledge just so you feel smart. The reason to know the Bible, this great deep truth about the Son of God becoming a human being and not ceasing to be God and yet fully living as a a human and dying in our place, the reason you need to know the details of that is because thick beliefs are what's going to sustain you through hard times, not thin ones. It won't sustain you. If we wait until uh, we're in, in weakness and in sin and trouble to start getting serious about the study of God, it's kind of too late. You've got to get serious about the study of God now. That's what he says. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let's get serious about taking in God's word and putting our confidence in it so that when our feelings go haywire... We know this, God came down to me when I was weak, so that means even though I feel like God's far away, he's really not. He actually, he actually may be nearer now than he ever was, and he may be planning to do a work now that's almost incomparable to the, any, other, any of the other work he's done before. It may be his best work. After all, God did his best work through Jesus' darkest day. Right? God did his best work through Jesus' darkest day. God can do the same thing through the lives of his people on their darkest day. Consider Jesus. Master, hold fast your confession of faith. Don't just know that you're a Christian. Know why you're a Christian. Know what it means to be a Christian. Know why you believe certain things about Christianity. Know it from Scripture. The source book that God has given to us to know his very heart. That's the first thing. God came to us. God came to us, secondly, so that we could come to God. This is a beautiful thing. Because not only, when I'm in need, not only do I feel like God is far away, but I also feel like I can't can't move closer to God when I'm weak. I feel, I, I lose motivation. I feel, first of all, very ashamed. This is especially true when I'm suffering something that, I, that is some way in my mind, maybe it really is, maybe it isn't, but in my mind, it's a, it's a result of my own failure or my own sin. And I'm just getting, in my mind, I'm getting what I deserve. And I feel really then like I, there's no way I can't go to church today because I, I messed up. Or I, I can't pray right now because God would never hear my prayers. 
I want you to notice uh, there in verse 16, in and into chapter 5, Jesus Christ shows us that's never true for his people. Because he came to us in weakness, we can go to him in weakness. Look, look at verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of what? Grace. I mean, that's, that's amazing. God has a throne. He reigns from that throne. But it's a throne not just of power. It's a throne of grace. It's beautiful. And we can approach that throne of grace with hesitation, timidity, doubt. No, what does it say? <laughs> Confidence. You say, okay, I get that. Sometimes when I'm doing good, I feel like I can go confidently to God. It's not what he's talking about. He says, we can approach with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see that? He is talking about what Christians are allowed to do and supposed to do and get to do, not when they've had a really great week and hit it out of the park spiritually. He's telling us what we can do even when we're in need. Jesus has opened a way for us to go to God. That's precisely what it means to be a priest. That's why this scripture says Jesus is the great high priest. Uh, it says in, in chapter 5 verse 1 that in the Old Testament, every high priest was selected from among the people and appointed by God to represent the people in matters related to God. Not to get into all the details because we're actually teaching on this on Sunday night, but here's the short story. The priests in the Old Testament were, were appointed to represent people. They went into the temple with sacrifices and with prayers, and the people stood outside. But the fact that the priests went inside and were accepted by God was a sign to the people standing outside that they were accepted too, on the basis of the sacrifice, on the basis of the, the go-between mediation that the priest was performing for the sinful, weak people. That's why at the end of a, of a temple service in the Old Testament, the priest would come out of the tent or out of the temple, and he would stand at the altar and raise up his hands and say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. He was showing that the, the blessing he got because he went for the people inside is the blessing that then he can share with the people because he was representing them in all that he did. This says that we don't have a priest on earth anymore because we got a better one. We got a priest in heaven. We got Jesus. And he went into the holy place not on earth. He went into the holy place above, the altar that no man can touch, the altar at the very throne of God himself. And he went there not with the blood of goats, but with his own blood. He went there not to sacrifice for his sins because he had none. He went there to sacrifice for ours. And he, by pouring out his spirit on all his people, the Holy Spirit, puts that same blessing onto us. We are accepted as Jesus is accepted. Um, this is summertime, and I always like to work in, in the summer, one of my favorite movies, Sandlot, The Sandlot. Y'all know that movie. And every year I scold you, if you've never seen it or showed it to your kids, the Lord will forgive you, but you need to repent and show them that movie. It's a great movie. It's American childhood, summertime, like in a, in a nice little package. It's beautiful about baseball and there's a scene over and over again in the movie where the boys are hitting the ball over a fence a high fence and on the other side is a dog they've never seen the dog they just heard him snarl and growl and they're imagining a huge like dinosaur like beast they actually call him the beast and then they're imagining he's eating up all their balls and he's just waiting for them to go over the top so that he can eat them up 
Well, at one point in the movie, one of the kids has to do a brave thing. He has to go over the fence to retrieve a ball. This is the only ball they had left. He has to go over there. And he goes over the top. He gets stuck there. But then he comes out from over the top of the fence and he's in one piece. He's fully alive to find out it's just a normal dog. It's not a beast. It's just a normal dog. But it took one of the group going over to that side and then coming back over to this side in one piece to show that they too could go over the other side. And they did. They found like 20 baseballs and they meet James Earl Jones, y'all. You should go see it. Jesus is very much like that. The fence was sin. The beast was hell. The fear that we had was a fear of God's judgment that he would never be able to accept someone like me. And Jesus, when he died on the cross and rose again from the dead that day and ascended into heaven that other day, went over that fence, bound up the beast and defeated him, came back over the fence to me, showed himself to me, and then went back up into heaven to show that I can go there too. Where Jesus is at home, you, Christian, are also at home. Jesus is at home in God's presence, therefore you are too. You're home there not just on your best day, but on your worst day. You're home there when you've messed up. You're home there when you're tempted and you don't know where to turn. You're home there when you're ignorant and don't know what to think. You're home there when your heart is going astray. In fact, all those things are listed in this passage. I'm not just making it up. It says in verse uh, 15, he helps us in our weakness. When you're weak, you have a home there. He helps us, verse 15, in our temptation. You've got a home there. Uh, in verse uh, 3, or excuse me, 2, chapter 5, verse 2, he helps us when we're ignorant. Chapter 5, verse 2 again, he helps us when we are going astray. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. I think you do. Because somebody in here is hiding from God. I know it. Why do I know it? Because I do it too. I hide from God when I feel like I don't deserve to be there. I want you to know that through Christ, you absolutely deserve to be there because he deserves to be there. Another scripture passage tells us we are, present tense, seated with Christ in heavenly places by faith. You're already seated there. And so instead of running and hiding from God and trying to hide in other things when we feel weak, you know, we turn to, you know, drink and pleasure and, and amusement and all the other things that we turn to instead of turning to God. You don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to hide. Come out of your hiding and learn to hide in God. Learn to go to him and say, God, I'm weak. I'm tempted. And I like what I'm being tempted to do. And I don't know how to stop liking that. I don't know how to change my heart. Change my heart, oh God. And the Bible says, just as surely as God answered his son Jesus, when he prayed, he's there to answer you and to help you in your time of need. Jesus came to us. We can come to God. Last thing, this changes everything. It doesn't just change everything about my own feelings, although we've been talking about that. It makes me confident. I mean, a confidence I can't get anywhere else. I mean, there's no other way, by the way, that you can get conf true confidence to come to God than in the way I just described. You can't make your own way up. You can't, you know, choose your own adventure with God. He doesn't play that way, right? You got to come his way or no way. 
However, when Jesus came to us, as he invites us to come to him, he doesn't just change how we feel so that we'll come to God in his way. He also is working to change the actual way that the world is. In other words, this is hope here. Suffering does not get the last word. Pain does not get the last word. Praise God, sin does not get the last word. God works through his great high priest to make all things in this world new. That's what he says there in chapter 5, verse 5 through verse 10, the very last part of our passage. He says, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. Now listen, when Aaron became a high priest, there was some glory there, but it was just sort of like sort of glory, right? Because Aaron was just a dude wearing fancy clothes. And they were fancy clothes that God designed, so there's some glory in that. But it was just, at the end of the day, a dude wearing fancy clothes. Jesus, remember, is the capital S son, capital G, of God, who came down to earth, went up to actual heaven, not just dressed in fancy clothes, but dressed in the clothes of his righteous life. And the clothes of his almighty power. And he rules now over the world that he has died for so that he can bring that world, that creation of God, back to life again. Overcoming suffering, overcoming death, overcoming temptation, overcoming sin, overcoming hell, fill in the blank. All the bad stuff. Jesus overcomes and makes all things new. That's why uh, the writer goes on in, in verse 5 and 6 to quote from two different psalms. We don't have time to go into all the details, but Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 are very famous in the, in the Old Testament. You should go read them. Both psalms are about how God is going to exalt his Messiah as king of the world. In Psalm 2, where it says, you are my son, today I have become your father, it says God is going to give to his Messiah the nations and he's going to rule over the nations with a rod of iron. Psalm 110, where it says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, is a psalm about how God's going to take his Messiah and put all the enemies of his Messiah under his feet until every enemy is destroyed and God's people are made willing in the day of his power. In other words, Jesus is not just a priest. Jesus is king. He's both together. The priest in heaven who empathizes with you this morning also happens to be the Lord of heaven and earth. He also happens to hold the nations and the fate of nations in his hands. He also happens to be the one who knows all the details of life in this world, including those things that are unjust. And he knows exactly how it's supposed to be fixed, even though you and I are at a loss to find solutions to this world's problems. The one who loves us sits at the right hand of God the Father. He rose there to become a life-giving and justice-dealing king over the whole creation. And so our confidence ought to go sky high because we have that Savior. I mean, some of us uh, this past year have used Zoom and FaceTime way more than we wanted to, right? I know I have used it way more than I've wanted to. There's something, as an illustration there about this, this last part of the passage, when you're on Zoom through the magic of technology, you're able to see what's happening somewhere that you aren't. And you know when you see it that you're seeing exactly what's happening there. 
so that you can be confident that you know that it's really happening, right? I mean, it gives you an assurance. You can't be there, but it's as if you're there. I mean, even people that are live streaming the service, it's as if you're there, right? When you're really not there because you're able to see what's going on there while you're here. In a way, I think verses five through 10 is like God's Zoom or live stream for us. He's giving us a peek at something we cannot see. We cannot see what's going on in heaven right now. So God shows us. He gives us a live look at Jesus Christ, the priest, the one who on this earth cried and sweated and bled for us, who's now been exalted because of his obedience and now exercising his reign as the source, it says, of eternal salvation for all who obey him. He's showing us what, who really is in charge of the world and what that person who's in charge is actually doing with his time and the plan that he's actually trying to carry out so that while we're down here and life looks crazy and messed up and we're you know, involved in all this weakness, temptation, ignorance, uh, need, struggle, sin, all the stuff that we're in, this messy world, we can always come back to scripture and look again at the Zoom. Look again at the live stream, at the live shot. What's going on in heaven? I'll tell you what's going on. The one who hears your prayers directs the nations. You're allowed to say amen. Isn't that good? The one who rules the nations actually cares about you. You say, how do I know he does? If he died for you, which if you believe in him, you can know he died for you. And if he died for you, I mean, of course he cares for you. Why would he give his life for you and then now not care for you? It doesn't make any sense. Instead, he exercises every power that he has to bring you to the same glory that he's experiencing now in heaven. I want y'all to remember this when you're struggling with the knuckleheads at home as you're parenting. <laughs> Remember this, if you struggle in your marriage or struggle at work or if you start to get overly negative about life or if you've got character flaws that you want to fix and you just don't know how to fix them. Remember, you've got a live look into heaven. And that means a few things. I only have time to list a few of the things I thought of that this means when I'm in those situations. Uh, if Jesus is in heaven reigning, it means all resistance to him is futile. I need to stop resisting him. I need to start listening if you're still resisting Jesus, you need to stop. I urge you, because resistance is futile. Our prayers are effectual. They're effective. They get the job done. In other words, if I pray to God, I have assurance that God's going to hear me. He might not give me exactly what I want, but he's going to give me what, he would, what I would want if I knew what he knew. <laughs> he's going to deliver that to me. Our suffering is productive. Jesus' suffering bore fruit. And that means for all of his people, your suffering is not a waste. God has not abandoned you. He's not given up hope to do something out of your life. He's, he's actually probably doing something great through your suffering. Just like he did through Jesus. Our obedience to him, no matter how costly, is worth it. And y'all, our future is very bright. Won't you sometimes... When you're struggling, instead of flicking on the TV, 
instead of just pulling out a book, getting lost in a novel or something, why don't from time to time you take a look at God's live stream and remind yourself that because he came to us, we can come to him, and this will change everything.